good morning. Welcome. We're so glad that you're here with us this morning. Uh, We are in our third week of a series called Promises, where we're looking at just many of the amazing promises that God gives to us in his word. Uh, A few weeks ago, Pastor Mark dove into the the core uh, verses that we're launching from in this series. So I think I've got those up on the screen. 2 Peter 1, 3 to 4. It says, His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he's given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. That verse says everything we need. Have you ever really thought about that? Um, Have you ever felt unprepared, like maybe you weren't ready to do something? I've sometimes had a a nightmare where I was speaking on Sunday, and I got there and found out I was speaking that morning and remembered, right? I mean, I literally had that that fear before. Uh, But perhaps there's been uh, times in your life where you felt like you didn't have what you need, you were unprepared. When I was uh, going into college, 18 years old, I knew what I wanted to do with my life. I wanted to be a math teacher and a football coach. I was uh, 100% certain of that. I went through college, I got my first teaching job at 22. Um, I felt like I was ready, I was a good communicator, I enjoyed math, I understood math, you know, pretty much felt like I was ready to go. Uh, But I was in for kind of a rude awakening when I started teaching high school students. At my first job, uh, I was given a lot of the remedial classes. I had students who had struggled in middle school math, they'd already been failing high school classes and they were already behind. And so I was getting those students um, in my classes. And I don't think that our high school has to deal with some of the same discipline problems that a lot of high schools do, Uh, but at the same time, I felt like I had every possible discipline problem in the world in that first year of teaching. Um, I had not been prepared for this idea in teaching we call classroom management, where you kind of keep control of the children in your room. And for some reason, at least at the time, and it may still be like that today, they did not teach us that when I was going through a teacher prep program, which made no sense to me, but I was not ready for it. Um, In that first year of teaching, I had a a fight between boys break out in my room um, because one of the boys said something about the other boy's mother. I kid you not, that was the reason behind it. It was a legitimate fight and they got suspended. Um, I had girls screaming things at each other that carried out into the hallway and spilled out into the cafeteria, and they got in a fight and they got suspended. Uh, I had students um, screaming obscenities at me as I sent them out of the room or sent them down to the office for discipline. Uh, I had students that, that cheated on tests, of course, a pretty common thing to the point where I had one student who had created a cheat sheet, and when he brought the test up to my desk to ask me a question, the cheat sheet fell out of the test onto my desk, right? I had that happen. Um, I had students that were, uh, you know, in my classes that were busted for selling drugs in school. Um, I had uh, one student that I sent into um, kind of a side room that I have, just really for like a behavior timeout, and he barricaded himself in that room with like chairs and tables and would not come out of there. So uh, I had a lot of crazy moments. Um, They weren't all that bad. There were some that I felt at the time were funny. Most of those were not funny for me at the time, and they're a little funnier now. Um, One that was actually funny for me at the time, I had a student that I gave a detention to because he really, he couldn't sit still in class. He couldn't stop talking. So I told him his detention was, you have to stay 15 minutes after school, and if you can stay quiet and sit still for that entire 15 minutes, your detention's over. Otherwise, it starts over. That was what I gave him. So I had him in the room, and I left the room for literally one minute, and then came back in, and I found that student climbing up on my cabinets, pulling the clock down, trying to set it forward 15 minutes. (laughs) 
so that they could be done. So um, I felt pretty unprepared when it all came down to it. I didn't have what I needed. I think there's a lot of times in life I felt like that. Maybe you can identify with this. Even a few years ago, I was uh, looking at a ministry opportunity at church, and I was sitting down with um, a, a pastor that I greatly respect, and I was just kind of sharing, like, I, I think there's got to be somebody better for this than me. There's got to be somebody more qualified. Like, this doesn't really, you know, make sense for me, I think. Um, and that pastor just said to me, you know, Matt, there's a, there's a part inside of every person that asks the question, am I good enough? Do I have what it takes? Like some of those types of questions. So maybe you can identify with some of those feelings. Uh, feeling unprepared, thinking somebody else could handle something better than you, uh, whether it's dealing with like a, a difficult relationship, it could be in parenting, um, it could be in defending your beliefs, uh, it could be in uh, dealing with sin and struggles in your own life or making a major decision, whatever it is. Um, you know, it could be that you just feel you don't have what you need or you recognize your own limitations. There's so many things. We can be overwhelmed, we can be in over our heads. So when I was thinking about what promise we were going to look at, and I I was going to share with you this week, um, verse 3 that we read a minute ago, I was really struck by this. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him, right? Through God's power, he gives us everything we need to live for him when we know him. Now, We see in scripture that God has individually given us everything we need to do what he wants us to do in a few different ways. I mean, he designed us uniquely and created us in God's image. Uh, He saves us when we put our faith in him. He, He gives us the Holy Spirit who gives us gifts that we can use as we follow him. There's a lot of ways that he designs us, but he also doesn't just leave us with that. God speaks to us and tells us what he wants us to do and how to do it. When it comes to living our lives, there's going to be a lot of voices, right? You're going to hear from friends and family and social media and TV, and you're going to hear from your pastors or maybe mentors, all these different voices, right? How do we know who to listen to today? Um, In our main passage that we're going to look at today and the promise that we're going to study, Paul's going to tell us there's only one voice we need to listen to, right? We need to listen to God's voice, And how are we going to know it? How are we going to know God's voice? Paul says, we have it, right? It's right here. God is going to speak to us through his word. That's how you know him. Uh, My hope for you this morning is that if you already have a a love for the scriptures, that it's just an encouragement to you to keep diving into the Bible, spending time in it daily. Um, And maybe if you're somebody where that's not something that you do regularly, I just, I hope that this morning would challenge you um, to want to get into the Bible regularly and see what God has for you, see where he takes you with it. So let's take a look at our main text for today. It's in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. Um, This is some of my favorite verses in all of scripture. It says, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And the promise God makes to us there is really amazing. I mean, just simply put, God's word is enough. That's it. God's word is enough. That's, that's the promise that we're looking at this morning. The Bible is God's perfect words to us, and it contains all we need to know Christ and to live a lifetime following him. God says you may feel unready, you may feel unprepared, inadequate, unworthy, whatever it is, but God says, I designed you, I can save you, I have saved you, 
uh, if you put your faith in Jesus, I've gifted you, right? And then he says, with the Bible, right, these are my words for you, and it's going to be enough for you to do whatever I've called you to. So to look at this promise this morning, we're going to dive into three questions that I think that passage in 2 Timothy begins to answer for us. One is, what is scripture? Another is, what does it do in us? And the third is, how does it do it? So we're going to start with that first one, what is scripture? Scripture, the Bible, is God's perfect words for us. Paul says, all scripture is breathed out by God. A lot of translations use the word God breathed. And it's a pretty unique word. Um, it's, a, it's a single word, a compound word. It's used only one time in the Bible, uh, right here in this place. And it's, it's actually a compound word in the Greek made up of two separate words that literally mean God and breathed out, right? Those are the, the two words it's made from. Um, when we read the Bible, we are reading the actual words of God. That is what that phrase is saying. Uh, just like when we speak, right, we are breathing out our words. When we read the Bible, they have been uh, breathed out by God. They were physically written down by people, but in some miraculous way, uh, God breathed through them and worked through them, and they were given perfectly by God. Peter gives us insight into this miraculous process in 2 Peter 1, 20 to 21. He says, above all, you must understand that no prophecy of scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation, for prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. This is that, that miraculous process. Not a robotic process where God like takes over their hands and, and records it and that's how it's done. Uh, somehow, some miraculous way, God used the authors but allowed them to keep their personality, their style, their vocabulary, their, their education, all those different things. But at the same time, guided them and kept it all entirely free from error. Those men weren't perfect. They sinned in all kinds of other places. But at that time, when they were recording the scriptures, God was writing his very words through them. Um, this wasn't a new idea when Peter said this. The Jews had long held this belief about the Old Testament as the very words of God. God didn't have to use people in the process. I mean, he could literally have written it down and given it to us, kind of like a magic book. That's not the way he chose to do it. But we see even in Exodus, uh, when Moses gets the Ten Commandments and they were given to him by God, um, Exodus 31.18 says, When the Lord finished speaking to Moses on Mount Sinai, he gave him the two tablets of the testimony, the tablets of stone inscribed by the finger of God, literally written out by God on the stone. And when Moses smashed that first set of tablets, right, he saw the Israelites sinning with the golden calf. If you remember that story, he came down from the mountain and smashed the tablets. God inscribed on a second set of tablets the Ten Commandments, and they put them in the Ark of the Covenant, and they carried it around with them everywhere they went in ancient Israel, right? And if you've seen the, the Indiana Jones movie, Raiders of the Lost Ark, uh, of course, they are, you know, searching for the Ark, and when they find it, it contains the, the Ten Commandments, the stone tablets written by God, and when they open the top of it, the power of God is released, right? I mean, that was the, the belief about uh, about those. That process of God writing it down for us, he could have done it that way, but he chose not to. The way it was really done was through people. And you see that right in that same book in Exodus because all that was on those tablets was the Ten Commandments. But God had a whole lot to say to the Israelites at the time. In Exodus 24, 3-4, 
Uh, It says, when Moses went and told the people all the Lord's words and laws, they responded with one voice, everything the Lord has said, we will do. Moses then wrote down everything that the Lord had said, right? And that became ultimately uh, the first five books of the Old Testament when it was all done. And that's actually the process by which most of the Bible was written, right? Uh, God spoke, Moses passed it along to the people, he recorded it in writing. Jesus spoke, his disciples passed the message along, Paul and Peter and other apostles explained the message and wrote letters, and those things became recorded, and God worked through that uh, to give it, uh, recorded during the, the time of that process, um, and God worked within those people to bring his words to us today. Now, when Paul writes, all scripture is breathed out by God, at the time he's writing that, only the Old Testament existed in written form, but Paul is uh, extending that to all of scripture that we have today. It's not just for the Old Testament, we says that. We believe that's true about the entire New Testament. And I want to give you just a couple quick reasons why we believe that even the New Testament uh, is the word of God. First, Jesus' teaching, as recorded in the Gospels, was elevated to the level of Scripture. Paul called that Scripture. In 1 Timothy 5.18, Paul quotes a couple of phrases. Uh, One, he says, For the Scripture says, Do not muzzle the ox while it is treading out the grain, which was a a sentence from the uh, book of Deuteronomy in the Old Testament. And then right after that, he says, The worker deserves his wages which was a quotation of Jesus from the book of Luke. And Paul says both of those are scripture, right? We have uh, God's word here in the Gospels. Uh, Second, Paul put his own letters at the level of scripture, which would have seemed unusual, right? For example, in 1 Corinthians 14, verses 36 to 37, Paul says, Did the word of God originate with you? Or are you the only people it's reached? If anybody thinks he's a prophet or a spiritually gifted, let him acknowledge that what I am writing to you is the Lord's command. And Paul would ask that they read these in all the churches. He would say that Christ was speaking through him. Paul said, the letters I am writing to you, that is the word of God. Uh, Even Peter placed Paul's letters at the same level of, of the Old Testament scriptures. Um, we're in Second Peter a lot, even today, as our core verses came from there. But in 2 Peter 3, 15 and 16, Peter says, Our dear brother Paul also wrote you with the wisdom that God gave him. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort as they do the other scriptures to their own destruction. Peter viewed Paul's words at the same level as the Old Testament scriptures. Lastly, the books of the Bible that we have today, they were accepted by the early church very early on as the words of God, as, as uh, God's word to us. Um, there were other writings that existed at that time that they rejected, and they said those are not the words of God. These were accepted for lots of reasons, uh, who was written, who they were written by, um, and how confident they were in the truth within them. And ultimately, by the fourth century, some councils kind of formally accepted them, just acknowledging what had already been decided hundreds of years before. There can be small errors in other ways, as people copy it, uh, when it's translated from language to language, there's certainly errors when we as humans are trying to interpret it and explain it to each other, but the Bible we have, we can be confident um, that God has preserved it and that he has given us his word in that form. 
Now, I just want to pause here. Um, Some of you could potentially be struggling with the idea that this is God's word, right? That this book has the words of God, believing that this is God-breathed. Maybe you heard claims that it it can't be God's word because there's too many errors, too many contradictions, uh, because it's fictional, because it was written too long ago, all these different claims. And I want to encourage you that if you begin to seek answers to some of those challenges and questions, you're going to find that the evidence is overwhelming for the reliability of the scriptures as we have them. And I want to mention just a, a couple examples as we're looking at this today. Um, for claims that it was written too long ago to be accurate or that the translations lost their meaning, you're going to find that there were more and older handwritten copies of various portions of the Bible and of the New Testament in particular, there were more and older of those than any other uh, ancient, any other document in ancient history, any other piece of ancient literature. Um, There were over 24,000 early manuscript copies. We're talking like first, second, and third century. Uh, Over 24,000 copies of parts of the New Testament that have been discovered. And so that's the the one that's most well attested. The second book in ancient literature behind that is Homer's Iliad, which had about 600 uh, ancient copies, parts of it that were discovered. About 40 times as many copies of the New Testament. Later, they discovered the Dead Sea Scrolls, if you've heard that that phrase, in some caves at Qumran uh, during the 20th century. And when they discovered that, it answered a whole lot of challenges people had been making for hundreds of years because they found entire portions of the Old Testament that were over 2,000 years old that had been buried in a cave that were almost identical to the Old Testament that we hold today. And none of the differences that they found uh, made a difference in the meaning, right? So our Bible is reliable. For claims that it's made up, that it's fictional, if you're hearing those things, those claims are actually extremely outdated. Those are claims that people were making 100 years ago, and archaeological discoveries over the last 100 years have continued to prove the validity of the Bible, that the places and the people at the times that the Bible describes actually existed just like it describes them, right? It's a very reliable historical document. Uh, For claims that the Bible contradicts itself, we don't have time to get into any of those this morning, but you'll find that when you look into those, there are always plausible explanations for why those things seem to be in tension with each other. Those are just a few really brief answers to a few of the tough questions about why you can trust the Bible. Um, If that topic interests you because that's an area that you really have kind of struggled with understanding, I'd encourage you to check out a book that answers those in more depth. I pulled a super old book off my shelf. This book is like from 93 or 95. It happened to be really formative for me um, as I was studying and learning some of these things. It's a book by Josh McDowell who wrote a lot of uh, books in this area. Um, This book is called A Ready Defense. uh, And basically, uh, Josh McDowell is a person who set out to prove Christianity was false. He did not believe Christianity. Set out to prove it was false and collected all kind of evidence. And in the course of the process became a Christian, and he wrote books on the evidence for Christianity. And so this particular one uh, hits lots of different topics, um, including the reliability of Scripture and what they found in terms of archaeology and things like that. But there's lots of other books out there. An author that I really love, Craig Blomberg, has a book specifically on the historical reliability of the New Testament, Um, and that's a much more recent book in the last five or six years, and it would be pretty updated. 
I just want to add one more reason that we can trust the Bible as God's word and then we'll jump back into those verses. But this is one that McDowell hits, I think, in his first chapter of this book and of other books that he writes. And it's just that the Bible is so unique when you think about it, right? It's written over the span of 1,500 years. It was written by more than 40 authors from like all different walks of life, by kings and fishermen, right? All these different people, religious people. It was written in many different places. It was written in several languages. It spoke to all kinds of controversial subjects. And even with all those differences, there's just a total unity in message uh, in the story, in the theme, and ultimately in the message in a way that no other collection of books is or really could do. Um, it survived time, it survived people who tried to destroy it, people who tried to discredit it, and it just to this day it continues to change lives. It's been read by more people and published in more languages than any other book in history. Uh, and even like we said with Josh McDowell, many of the people that set out to disprove it, became Christians when they saw the evidence themselves. It has prophecy after prophecy that's come true. There's so many reasons it's unique and amazing. Some of those reasons are in the room today. You and I just, the changed lives and the evidence of what God is doing. So if you're skeptical that this is God's word, I'd encourage you to do two things. One is start reading the Bible itself and also maybe begin to look at some of these other resources. Don't take my word for it. All right, so that was kind of a long pause from our verse, but let me come back to it. The verse is, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So we answer that first question, what's scripture? It's God's perfect word for us, contained in the Bible. It was written down by people as the Spirit was guiding them and keeping them free from error. And so our second question is, what does the scripture do in us? And the answer is, the Bible prepares us for everything that God wants us to do. We're going to jump to the end of the verse for that. So that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Right? That's the, really the heart of the promise for us today that we're looking at. God speaks to us in the Bible, and it has everything we need for everything he wants to do. There's an idea of readiness that will be like kind of fully prepared, fully stocked up. Like when I went to the grocery store yesterday, and they just finished stocking the shelves, go kind of early in the morning on Saturdays, and everything is there, except yesterday, for some reason, the cilantro has not been there at Kroger for weeks. I've been having trouble with that. But uh, otherwise, right, everything's there, fully stocked up. He says, we'll be ready for every good work. Uh, being ready for every good work is a common theme in Scripture. Another one of my favorite verses, Ephesians 2.10. Paul writes, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And here he's talking about salvation, that where we put our faith in Christ, but now God wants us to walk faithfully along him and do the good works that he has laid out before us. Uh, in another place, in 2 Corinthians 9, 8, Paul says, And God's able to make all grace abound to you, so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you'll abound in every good work. The context there is a little bit more about money um, and kind of generously giving and that you'll still have all you need to complete the good works that God wants you to do. Such a common theme in scripture. Good works aren't just the big things, 
Like I, you know, worked for a charity or I really helped somebody that was in crisis. Um, I donated my time. I went on a mission trip. It's not just that, right? The good works are the, the daily results of living out our walk with Christ in our daily life. Uh, it's how you parent. It's how you love. It's how you work. So in our pa- passage, Paul says, through scripture, the man of God may be thoroughly equipped, complete for every good work. Um, in theology, going to give you a little mini quick theology lesson. In theology, this is called the doctrine of sufficiency of scripture. That's what theologians would call it. One of my favorite writers, Wayne Grudem, defines it this way. The sufficiency of scripture means that scripture contained all the words of God that he intended his people to have at each stage of redemptive history. Because at different points in time, we have the full Bible now, but they didn't have the full Bible then. They only had the first five books, and then they had the prophets, right? And things were added over time. They, uh, it contained all the words he intended his people to have at each stage of redemptive history. And that now, what we have now, it contains all the words of God that we need for salvation, for trusting him perfectly, and for obeying him perfectly. In the verse, we didn't read this, but just before our main text today, Paul tells Timothy, you've known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And if you're here today and if you don't know Jesus, that is the first step. Put your faith in him, put your trust in him, that he loves you, that he died for your sins, and commit to walking with him in your life. That's the first step. God's word is enough for salvation and for walking with him. Now, the Bible's big. It hits a lot of areas in a lot of specific detail, but it doesn't hit everything in complete detail. For example, I love sushi, but there are not any sushi recipes in there, so it's not going to tell me how to make sushi, right? Uh, My teenagers want to be on TikTok and Instagram. It doesn't speak to those social media platforms. It doesn't tell me what movies to watch. It doesn't tell me what politicians to vote for, how, how to feel on particular political issues. It doesn't have all of those things. So, When it comes to some of those areas that aren't addressed specifically, the Bible gives us principles and examples that we can learn from and that we can apply in our lives to help us know what to do, know how to do it, um, that we can uh, learn from, that that we can do in a way that allows us to trust God and bring glory to him. Like in my first year of teaching, when I was ready, there wasn't a section in the Bible on classroom management, but there was plenty in the Bible about trusting God about loving people, about seeing people through his eyes, uh, about working hard for his glory, about having patience. There was a lot of stuff there uh, that the Bible could and did help me in. So we come back to the end of that verse, so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. The NIV translation I'm using says man of God, but that Greek word means human, means person. Sometimes it specifically means men, although there's different words for male and for female when it really wants to get specific on gender. And this verse is not limited to males, okay? That more general way is the way Paul is using it here. Just a few verses earlier, Paul was recounting persecution he had faced, and he said, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. That persecution is not just limited to males, right? And here's Paul is telling us how we can all be equipped to live that godly life. Through the Bible, we can all, man, woman, or child, be ready. We can be complete. We can be equipped for what God is calling us to. Notice the verse doesn't say the man of God is equipped, and it doesn't say the man of God will be equipped. It actually says, and it's very particular about this, 
the man of God may be equipped. It's a little bit more of a hypothetical because ultimately we have to do our end. God's word is enough, but it's enough when we are reading it and drinking it in and willing to apply it in our lives. So we got to read it. We got to think deeply about it. We got to meditate on the scriptures. We have to pray for understanding. We have to trust the Holy Spirit to illuminate some of the meaning to us in our lives. Um, We have to check for understanding of what the scripture says, maybe against other scripture or what uh, teachers and other believers are saying. And we got to listen to what it says and we have to do it. And that's kind of where the third question, our final question in the passage comes into play. We looked at what is scripture, we looked at what does it do in us, and finally we're going to look at how does it do it? How does scripture make us complete? How does it equip us for every good work? And I've got four words that I think kind of translate the four words that we have there in 2 Timothy. The four words are truth, conviction, change, and discipline. Those are kind of four of the things that it does in us. It gives us truth, it it, uh, convicts us, it changes us, and it helps us with discipline. So let's look at the middle of the verse. It said all scripture, right? And it says, is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. And there's four ideas there. They're a little bit overlapping in some of their meaning, but they're distinct enough. But when you put all four of them together, they give us a pretty clear picture of the ways that the Bible can equip us if we're, if we're willing. Uh, if we were going to put it really simply, teaching is the idea that the Bible is our source of truth. It's the source of Christian doctrine. That's where we get it from. That's what that first word is saying. Uh, that word reproof, some translations use rebuke. That's the Bible showing us where we've gone wrong. It might be in our belief. It might be in our actions. Right? That is, that is reproof. Uh, it convicts us in our heart. Correction is the idea of the Bible showing us how to get back on track. Once it's shown us where we're wrong, what do we need to do to correct that? And then training in righteousness, the Bible helps us develop that discipline to stay on track and stay on the right path with the help of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes when I've read this verse in the past, um, it sounded to me like it was speaking only to teachers. Like when you teach, these are the four things it's going to do, and then it wouldn't apply to everybody else. And Paul was writing to Timothy. Timothy was a teacher and a leader, and that was very much a focus of the book. And there's definitely specific application as people teach the word. Those four things are going to happen uh, in sermons. But it's also for you and me, right? Paul was writing at a very different time. Uh, many people couldn't read. Many of the early Christians wouldn't have had access to copies of the Old Testament in their language for sure. Um, And certainly the New Testament was still being passed and developed over time. Uh, But it's different for us. We've got the entire Bible we can have in our homes. We can read it. We can talk about it. We can read it with others. We can find it online. So it's a little bit different. Um, Paul says to to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.2, What you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. This was important, and this was such a big part of the kind of that teaching aspect, because they dealt with so many false teachers. That was uh, an enormous part of what was going on there. Uh, For example, in uh, chapter 4, verse 3 of 2 Timothy, Paul says, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, and they'll turn away from listening to the truth and wandering off into myths. 
So we're still going to deal with false teaching today. We're still going to need teaching and teachers uh, to, to help explain and encourage us in the word, but we can also dive into it ourselves and do those things. So whether we hear the Bible being taught on a Sunday, if we're listening to a sermon online, or if we're reading it ourselves or with others, um, we can let the Bible impact us in terms of teaching and truth, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness. I was thinking this week about what this could look like in our lives. And I'll be honest, every time I'm given the opportunity to preach uh, here at Oak Point Canton, I feel like a little bit of a hypocrite, right? I go through this process that we're seeing in 2 Timothy as I'm reading the scriptures. I begin to study whatever the topic is and look at the truth of that topic. And what happens most of the time as I look at the truth of that topic is I realize I'm really falling short in this topic and I'm supposed to tell other people what to do on this topic. And that's very much true in here. And so the, the word convicts me, right? As I'm studying the topic over the last few weeks, I'm convicted. There's reproof as I read the scriptures and realize I I'm not reading the Bible as much as I should. I'm not passing it on the way that I should. I'm not going to it first in the way that I should. Uh, And then there's correction. The Bible helps me know what do I need to do? What do I need to do with that to get back on track? And there's training in righteousness as the Bible helps me develop the discipline to to stay in the word and to, to read the Bible. God's made the promise that his word is enough. Now it's up to us to respond, right? A couple questions as we close to consider. Do you view Scripture as God's word to you? That's the first one, right? If you don't, get in the Scripture. Maybe look at some other resources. Look for answers to some of uh, the challenges that you have. Are you in the Bible regularly? Maybe you need to, to make some space uh, and time in your life for that if you're not, in the morning or at night, and maybe move some other activity away. Maybe commit to reading with somebody else to have some accountability, And then lastly, do I have a teachable heart, right? Can I accept reproof, rebuke when I read the scriptures, when I'm convicted? Am I willing to change course? Am I being trained in righteousness? Pray for some of those qualities this week. Pray for understanding the scriptures and where to apply them. Uh, There's a verse in, in James chapter 1, 22 to 25. He says, Don't merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but doesn't do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he's heard but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. God's word is enough. Let's not just be hearers of that word. Let's be doers of that word. Let me pray for us this morning. God, I thank you. I thank you that you have given us your words in the Bible. I thank you that it's been preserved and passed down to us. Thank you that we can read it for ourselves. Through your spirit, Lord, we ask this morning, please give us minds to understand and give us hearts to respond to it. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, this, this morning, as we close service day, we don't have a, a closing song. I just want to leave you with some words from the end of the book of Hebrews, kind of a benediction from Hebrews 13, verses 20 to 21. It says, May the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, 
May he equip you with everything good for doing his will. And may he work in us what's pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen.